So in Thailand, it's pretty normal for, uh, for guys to have man bags, and I forgot my man bag this morning, and so um, I'm going to read the Bible, but it's from my, uh, my phone, so please um, bear with me. I, didn't, I forgot my Bible because it's in my man bag. So <laughs> try, no, I, I've got it here, so that, that's okay, yep. So, um, so yeah, uh, when Liz and I sat down and started thinking and praying about what we would uh, share with you this morning, uh, we kept feeling this prompting that we really uh, wanted to share with, how, with you how we've been encouraged in our walk with God uh, over this past term, this past two and a half years out in Thailand. So today we'll be looking at the story of the Israelites crossing the Jordan, and I'll be sharing four points or four key learnings that have helped me grow in my love for Jesus and my love for others. So, uh, if you've got your Bible there, or your mobile phone or something, you're up. Uh, if you could turn to Joshua chapter 3, and I'm just going to read uh, all of chapter 3, actually. It's a story, and so uh, this morning we'll be sharing a few stories, and uh, without really hearing the, the story all the way through, I think it, it won't, um, it'll be helpful to, to read the whole story. So, Joshua chapter 3. <clears throat> So early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits. Between you and the ark. That's about 900 metres, I think. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so, that, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will uh, certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp uh, to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet, as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the water flowing down to the sea of the, of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. 
Let's uh, commit this time in prayer. Dear Lord, may your presence be felt here this morning. Open our hearts to hear the words that you have for us today. May you speak to us today through this story from many thousands of years ago. Amen. But uh, just to start things off, I'm actually going to get Liz to come up and uh, she's going to share a story that she's going to expand upon throughout our time. Yeah, so when we... Oh, are you on? Yeah. When we first arrived um, back in Thailand after our first home assignment, we were praying and asking God to lead us into the areas of ministry that we know he had prepared for us. And I was out the back of our house one day and I was hanging out the washing and I was kind of looking at the abandoned house next door and, I'm, and I've heard this word a lot today, so it's cool how God works. But I felt the Holy Spirit give me these words and it was, I will restore it and use it for my glory. And as I was looking at this house and I thought, the, the haunted house, God, you'll restore that and use that for your glory. And, and I, I came inside and I said to Glenn, I think God's told me something. And um, we talked about it, we prayed about it, and then we went and shared it with our teammates. And it was a, a little bit risky. We thought about using it to teach English out of. But it was a bit risky because our team hadn't done this kind of programmatic ministry before. It was more about building relationships with people and not a lot of physical um, investment, money investment and that kind of thing in the past. And that had worked really well. So it was a new idea. And not only that, but the house was really quite run down. It was going to take a fair bit of work to get it livable. And the Thai people are very superstitious in their beliefs. And they believed that this house was haunted. In fact, the owner that had it, that owned it, the person that owned it, had had a very tragic life. Um, he had died himself. Three of his, two of his children had tragically died. And so the local belief was that this house had a bad spirit. And so I knew that, well, when I heard that, I thought, God, could you really do this, what you say? It just, it seemed a bit risky. I thought, what if I, what if we put all this money into it, put all this work into it, restored it, like, physically? Would the local people trust it enough to even let their kids come? What happens if their kid does come and something bad happens to a kid, like they get injured? Like, will they blame us for, for bringing them into this place? All these risks, like not only that, but there was like COVID was pretty prevalent at the time. Like kids weren't even necessarily going to school on a regular basis, let alone an after school activity type program. It just felt, like I said, all a little bit risky. Have you ever been in a situation like that? <clears throat> uh, have you ever felt a strong conviction from God that he wants you to be doing something or coming alongside someone? But the fear, it's just crippling. Maybe it's a fear of failure, a fear of rejection, a fear of embarrassment, of putting yourself out there and, it, and the thing that you're wanting to do just not working out. You think to yourself, oh, I know that God wants me to be doing this or I can see that God has this for me. I can see God leading me, but I just can't see how that could work out. There are just too many blocks in the way, too many problems. So for the Israelites, they had this problem, didn't they? This big, wide, great river blocking them from being where God wanted them to be. How could they get there? So the first learning uh, that encouraged me was seeing that the Israelites had the right attitude of, to follow God's leading. 
So those first three verses of chapter 3. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of your God, of the Lord your God, and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. The Thais, uh, they actually have this wonderful, uh, beautiful tradition of leading. When someone's uh, leaving home, uh, maybe they're going, uh, just moving across the village maybe to a different house. Maybe they're moving across provinces, uh, 50, 100 kilometers away, or maybe even uh, across to a different province. Uh, they have this, this way of leading where it's one person's responsibility to go out in front of the person that's, that's doing the actual moving. Uh, and it's just to make sure that they get there safely and that they've got their new home. And so uh, they'll still have this, uh, maybe a small uh, farewell party, but everyone that's there after the small, small farewell party, if it's a short distance, they'll all j- jump into cars or walk to the new person's house. But it's one person's responsibility to be the person that goes out in front to go before them. I remember the time that we, uh, we moved from Chiang Mai to, out to Ban Luang, our first ministry location. Uh, our team leader, Moana, he did this for us. He actually said to us, you're moving out to Ban Luang, I'm going to go in front of you. And I said to him, Moana, that's like a five-hour uh, car ride, and then you're just going to make sure that we get there and then just drive home the same day. And he said, yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what I'll do. I was like, no, you don't have to do that. That's just a waste of fuel, a waste of time. Um, and, but he said, no, oh, this is what I need to do for you. And so I felt a little bit... Um, I was like, well, I'm the leader of my family. I know where to, how to get to Banluang. I don't need this sort of thing. But I eventually I humbled myself and I said, yes, begrudgingly, yes, Moana, you can lead us out uh, to, to Banluang. And so I, re- I remember actually a couple of months later, we were back in Chiang Mai in our... Um, doing some, uh, some training in Chiang Mai, and we needed to go back out to Ban Luang, back to our, out to our home. And so uh, it was quite good that Moana had given us, uh, shown us the way, because I typed our home into Google Maps, and it took us a slightly different direction to what Moana had taken us. So I was like, oh, well, this looks quicker than the way that Moana took us, so this will be fine. So we're going along, an hour or two into the trip, everything's fine, and then the road gets narrower and narrower and narrower until we're out the, the back of someone's farm and it becomes a dirt track, or less than a dirt track, and to the point that we couldn't go any further. And so we had to backtrack and do this whole big circuit all the way around. And so it took us an extra two hours, and so I was quite grateful for Moana's leading at that time, and especially Liz being in the car next to me. She's like... Yeah, did you see that? Moana knew the way, you didn't. (laughs) I don't know if that happens to you guys very much if you're driving the car and your wife is next to you and she's like, Glenn, you know you're lost. you just got to stop and ask someone for directions. Uh, It's all about humbling ourselves, isn't it, and going, okay, maybe we don't know best. Uh, Maybe we need to ask for help and to uh, follow someone else's leading. The ark out ahead of the Israelites. That's actually a beautiful picture of God going before us, leading the way. In commanding the Israelites to follow the ark of the covenant, really the Israelites and us today are being told that God intends to lead and direct our lives. We actually just need to let him. And how do we do that? By humbling ourselves, immersing ourselves in prayer, in the scriptures and in meeting with fellow believers 
I've, uh, this term, I've just seen how important these three things are at seeing a God at work and leading. So I really do encourage you to stick at it. And it's been amazing this morning to hear of the opportunities for prayer in the next little while. And so uh, my encouragement to you is to, is to really get stuck into those three things. Prayer, reading the Bible, and meeting with fellow believers. Immersing yourself will allow God to speak to you. For the Israelites, they could see God physically out ahead of them, that 900 meters. But how do we see God leading in our lives? We see after the instruction to follow the Ark of the Covenant, Joshua instructs the Israelites to have the right attitude of expecting amazing things. In verse 5, Joshua says to consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. To consecrate yourself, it's a bit of a hard word. It means to set yourself apart for, for God, to move from common use to holy use. Uh, David Palmer, uh, he's a theologian, and he, he puts it this way. Consecration means that I hold back my appetites, or what the world would suggest to me is the good life, and I take hold an appetite for God. It's more of God and less of me. Those three things I mentioned before, the prayer, scripture, and meeting with believers, they're all ways to consecrate yourself. They allow space in your life for God to shape your attitude and to lead you. More of God, less of me. So, uh, yeah, as we've shared, uh, part of our work in Thailand is to teach English in a, a local primary school. Uh, so this is separate to Bansawang. So Liz has uh, started Bansawang, but I've always had a visa for... Um, teaching in a local primary school. So these guys here, this is a grade six that's just graduated just before we came back to Australia. Um, and this is a pretty good class. I, don't mind, I didn't mind teaching these guys, but when I get back, I won't be, able to te I won't be teaching them because I've just graduated up into high school. Um, as you can see there, there's four girls and what is there, five, five boys, five or six boys in that class. Um, so the girls and the boy ratio is pretty good. Uh, which is always very important to try and have some classroom management because uh, in Thailand we don't get given a whole lot. The Thai teacher just tells me to go into the classroom and I'll see you later for the next hour. And so you've got these kids uh, and sometimes it can be really challenging. I remember one day I had a class um, that had pretty much all boys in it and one girl and this class was absolutely a horrible class to teach and I dreaded going to teach them every day, every time I'd taught them. Um, they weren't really interested in learning English, which most of the kids actually aren't, because in our, in our small farming community, most of them are just going to be farmers, and so they don't really see the need for English. Some of them do, um, and so those are the kids that we want to in, uh, invite to Bansawang and to further them, uh, but some of them just don't really want to do that. So one, of the, one time I was teaching these kids, and uh, one of the boys, uh, he got up out of his chair, which was quite normal for him, and he was running around the, the classroom, and I was trying to run after him, and I, couldn't, I wasn't allowed to actually take him out of the classroom, so I had to try and deal with him in the classroom. But it got to a point where he got, you know the compasses that you use to draw circles with? So he, he'd gotten one of those, and he was going up to his friends and grabbing them in a headlock while I was seated and like jabbing the compass into the side of their neck, and it was just absolutely awful. He would, I'd be able to go up to him, because he wasn't running at that point, and like get to him, and then he'd stop doing it sort of thing. But it, it happened time and time again. And these kids, 
they were just sitting down quietly because they knew that if they moved around or anything, it was going to hurt even more. And you could see like a, a tear coming down their, their faces. And I just remember just going, God, what, are you, what have you got here for me? And so I got through the class, got home and just said to Liz, that's it. I just, there has to be a different way for us to be in Thailand. I can't do this teaching thing anymore. It's just, I'm, I'm frustrated, I'm exhausted. And to be honest, I don't like these kids very much. And so it was actually uh, quite a hard thing to say. But then Liz reminded me at the time and she just said, Glenn, you're teaching these kids English, but it's, English isn't actually what they need. They're not in desperate need of English, um, especially these kids that won't use it in the future. What they desperately need is, is God's love. And they, they don't have that at home, and you've, you've got the opportunity to be with them for an hour a week or a couple of hours a week, uh, and you can show them God's love. And that's exactly what we'd been called to do. But in the moment, I was just like, ah, oh, it's frustrating and everything. But I needed, what I needed to do there was to consecrate myself. I had to trust God that even though I couldn't see it at the time, that uh, maybe just us being in the community, that, that through that, that God will do amazing things there. So bear with me. Rather than going to bed at night thinking or maybe even dreading what the things you need to get done the next day, maybe that's everything that's on your to-do list or maybe that is teaching some ratty kids, what would it look like going to bed thinking, tomorrow God's going to do amazing things? Less of us, more of him. So firstly, the Israelites had the right attitude Secondly, the Israelites had the right action by taking steps of faith. So while keeping their eyes on the Ark of the Covenant, we see the Israelites followed behind the priests until they reached the Jordan River. So uh, in verses 15 and 16, we read, Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away. This is a great picture of how God wants to include us in his work and he loves to see our faith put into action. In taking a step of faith into the water, God actually then allowed the water to pile up. Hebrews 11.1 defines faith by stating, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is assurance about what we do not see. The emphasis here is on we, what we do not see, but the one who leading us does. Faith is about trusting the God who leads, trusting him and what he can see over everything that we can see down here. God instructed action, action that showed faith in him. True faith gets its feet wet rather than sitting back and waiting for God to show up. So as Liz shared, starting a ministry in the house next door, it seemed a little bit risky. We hoped it would go well, but were we confident? Actually, to be honest, probably not. Uh, Could we see what it would look like? We had no idea what Barnsuang or the ministry might look like, other than that word from God that he would restore it for his glory. But as you saw in the video, we decided that we had to trust in God. And so we started by getting our feet wet, so to speak, 
We convinced the owner to rent us the house, which in and of itself was no mean task. And then we got to work cleaning, painting, uh, fixing it up, physically restoring the house. While we were doing that, uh, we invited our teammates in to, to pray over the house and we had worship music going and we were doing that uh, to try and to, in order to, phys- uh, sorry, to spiritually restore the house. So uh, we got everything ready uh, so that when COVID had subsided, uh, we decided to adver- we could advertise and get the classes started. It all actually went quite smoothly. And at the end of the first day, as Liz and I reflected on uh, how that day had went, we were absolutely amazed at how positive the community was at the start of, Ban- of, of teaching English there at Barnsawang. We realised that it was only God that could have made that happen. We need to come to a place where our trust in God is greater than our trust in ourselves. We need to have a faith in God that takes that first step. We need to have assurance about what we do not see. Okay, so thirdly, thirdly, we're called to have a right posture, one of standing firm. So go back to the story of the Israelites. So that water that piles up some great distance away from the Israelites. And then in verse 17, the story continues. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed crossing on dry ground. Actually, in in chapter 4, we read that not only did the Israelites just cross over on dry ground, but it actually says they hurried over. And I reckon that's pretty um, understandable, isn't it? That's probably what I'd be doing if there was a huge, great big pile of water um, being held up by nothing more than than God, like you couldn't see anything uh, mechanically uh, holding it up. I reckon I'd be hurrying over just in case it got too big for God to hold up. But what did the priests do? They stood firm in the middle. They had the right posture. They had to trust God that the waters wouldn't crash down around them. They had to trust God that this was uh, the right time to be standing still, standing firm, knowing that at this time God wanted them where they were. Sometimes uh, it can be scary being led by God into places we haven't been, as the Israelites were. But sometimes it can be scary just standing still, knowing it's only God's presence that is keeping us from being swept down the river. We fear that God won't show up. We need to have faith over fear. This is now going to come back up and uh, continue on the story. So we started to hit some bumps in the road. The ministry had started off well, like Glenn explained, and it was better than we'd expected. But I don't know if God had done such a good job at restoring the house, but all of a sudden the once abandoned haunted house became this new hot commodity and people were rocking up and asking us if they could buy it or who owned it so that they could buy it. And we were like, no, we just did all this work to making it. I mean, on the outside it didn't look a whole lot different, but on the inside at least to making it nice and beautiful and what if someone came and bought it and they didn't want to rent it to us anymore and where we live is kind of a place where you wouldn't just buy an investment house and rent it out to someone you'd live there so we were starting to feel pretty upset at the thought of losing it um yeah we were were like no god this ministry it's going so well what's happening here and then within weeks or months i guess 
one of our three boys started to have some pretty significant health issues. Um, and it, that was a really challenging time. We were seeing doctors and trying to see specialists and all in a second language, um, very uh, confusing uh, medical history that he had. And it was very stressful for our family. We were confused, um, exhausted, a little bit discouraged. And there was a point where we were thinking, maybe we just had to come back to Australia. Maybe this is best, you know, for him, for his health and getting to see a doctor would be better just to come back here. But at the same time, what we'd felt God called us to was doing so well and we wanted to, to keep going with the ministry. So there was this time of having to just say, God, we're going to have to just surrender this to you and just trust that you know what you're doing. But it felt like that wave was coming for us for sure. Eventually, after maybe a good six months of unknown territory, we found an amazing specialist about three hours from where we live who spoke wonderful English, had worked in Australia before, and she just took our family in and was like, was pretty much like, I'm going to fix this, you know, <laughs> I'm going to help you guys. And, and so we were just so thankful to God. And to this day, the house, we're still renting it um, with plans to actually the organisation Baptist Mission Australia to buy it ourselves, which will give us that stability and that continuity. So, yeah, we're praising God for that. Mm. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it, being in that state of confusion? I remember, like, going, why, God? Like, why? We felt you're leading us into this, um, this place, but it's just, it seems really challenging, being very confused. Having the right posture can mean standing in that place of confusion and uncertainty and just trusting God has led you there and that he hasn't left you. If this is you, if you can resonate with this, I really do encourage you uh, right now to stand firm. Sometimes the easy thing in ministry is just to keep trying new things and it can actually be hard to stand firm knowing you are where God wants you to be. Stand firm and find the right people around you to support you. Okay, so let's review. Firstly, we have the right attitude of following God's leading and expecting amazing things. We also need to have the right action of taking steps of faith. And thirdly, we need to have the right posture of standing firm. Finally, our faith is to have the right posture by remembering and testifying. We see after the Israelites have crossed the Jordan, a really important event happens. In chapter 4, verse 8, we read, so the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. Skipping down to verse 21. He said to the Israelites... In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. What did the Israelites do when they were crossing the river, when they were in the middle? They collected stones that were used as a memorial, 
as a sign of what God had done for them that day. Remembering what God has done for us in our lives helps us in our future. It realigns our expectations of seeing God work in us and through us. The act of remembrance changes us. We become expectant. It makes that next step of faith easier. It makes us less fearful that we are only doing this by, our own, by ourselves. Our confidence grows and grows that God is with us and that he will show up. Liz is now just going to come and finish off the story. Yeah, so while it feels like we've been walking this um, journey and trying to step out in faith in Thailand, through the trials, um, we kind of feel like we've been collecting some of our, our own stones. Um, a reminder that God is with us and that his peace is for us. During this time, our, our neighbour, direct neighbour, their daughter, she's about 20 years old, so we've been living in that house for about three years, and she's been getting to know us a little bit. Um, actually, quite a, quite a lot. In fact, she's really keen on learning English and she's excellent at it. I wish I had her language capacity. She's amazing. Her English is getting to be really good at now. But over the past three years, as she was learning, she'd come and just hang out in our house and, you know, we'd be cooking dinner and I'd be telling her what I was doing, just practicing, talking and the rest. So we've got to know her quite well. She would come on Saturdays to help teach English at the language centre when she wasn't at uni. And just a couple of weeks before we came back to Australia, she was at the language centre with me and we're packing up all the toys. And she says to me, um, Teacher Liz or Krugelap, I don't really understand why you're not more scared of the things in your life. And she was referencing the bad spirit of that house, the illness of our child, all of these things. So why are you not more scared of these things? Um, and I just said to her, well, the Bible says that Jesus is more powerful than anything in this world. And when I pray, because I, I pray to him and I ask him and he gives me peace. And, but the truth is, I still do get scared of things. But when I do get scared, I pray and, I, and he gives me that peace. She's just listening. And then I said to her, what do you do when you get scared? And she's like 20. So she goes, oh, I turn up the music really loud and try not to think about it. <laughs> and I was like, does that work? And she goes, oh, yeah, mm, nah, no, not really. <laughs> and so then I just said to her, well, you know, Jesus isn't just here for me and my family. He came to be peace for you. And you can pray to him when you're scared. And she's like, yeah, I really think I need to do that. And so it was really exciting to hear. And then, then she actually says, oh, but do I have to use English? Because that would be really tiring. Can I do it in Thai? And I'm like, yes, you could do it in Thai. He understands Thai too. It's fine. <laughs> so it was really exciting. I didn't realize at the time, though, that it was just really walking through these trials and living our life and trusting that God was leading us and that he was with us and that he was showing that he was giving us peace was really the biggest testimony to the people around us. <clears throat> yeah, I reckon uh, the best verse of this whole story is that last verse of, of chapter 24, which says, He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful so that you might always fear the Lord your God. It's those two things, isn't it? It's, it's, knowing it's for us and ourselves that we might always, always fear the Lord, 
But our, our testimony and what happens in our lives is for other people to be able to see that and to see that God is powerful and that he's worth following, that Jesus is the answer. <clears throat> so this morning, I really want uh, this morning to be an encouragement to you. An encouragement to continue to love Jesus and to love others. An encouragement to see God, to see Jesus and follow him and his leading in your life. An encouragement that you can actually expect God to show up when you get your feet wet. An encouragement to stick it out when things are tough. And I really want to encourage you to talk to others about the good things that God is doing uh, in and around your life. As we follow the example of the Israelites, we can be assured that through us and among us, the Lord will do amazing things. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you that it is alive and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. May you continually be at work in our lives, reminding us to consecrate ourselves, more of you, less of us. May you give us boldness to take the first step into what you are calling us to. May you strengthen us when we are standing firm. And Lord, remind us to continually share your goodness in our lives with those around us, pointing people to who you are and what you have done for us at the cross. Give us courage to have faith over fear. In Jesus' name, amen.